Hello and welcome to Friday Voice. I'm your host, Andrea James. To give you a little bit of background about Friday Voice, Voice at the Table set these sessions up as a convenient way for you to get useful knowledge for your work and more importantly, to ask questions because Friday Voice is a live podcast session. So at any point, please feel free to enter your questions into the chat box. Or if you would like to interact live with the presenter, and today it is Katie Driver, please just let me know again through the chat box and I will unmute you. The sessions are all recorded and made available to Voice at the Table members. So your voice will be recorded, but if you're happy with that, do let me know. So the rough structure for today is Katie will present uh, during the sort of natural pauses in the sections. I will take the time to ask your questions. So let's kick off and find out how to become a storyteller. Welcome, Katie. Thank you, Andrea, and uh, hello to everybody listening. Um, it's great to be here today and to be talking about how to become a storyteller. Um, for those who may not know me, I'm an associate with Voice at the Table, and I'm really interested in helping people to think better and to be better. And part of that uh, being better is being better able to communicate what you need to say to have the influence that you need in a business environment. So that's the focus I'm going to be taking for storytelling today. So let's begin. Great. So imagine um, I'm at the Globe Theatre a couple of summers ago with 30 10-year-olds who've been studying Shakespeare. The actor leading the session asks the children to stand in a circle and then start walking slowly clockwise around the room. She invites them first of all to put on a crown and walk as if they were a king. And then she invites them to put away the crown and walk as if they were a caregiver or a mother or a nurturer. And then she invites them to become the jester. Now, not only they, they knew exactly how to become each of those characters. They put on their crowns, they walked tall. They became caregivers, cradling a baby, walking more slowly. You can imagine what the 10 year olds did with the jester. And as I'm speaking to you, I expect you're building your own images of what those different characters might have been like, might have been like. And those kind of typical characters, that sense of a story is something that has been with us in every culture for thousands of years. And it's something that we tap into very, very deeply. And it's some of that that I'd like to unpack today. So the, the topic today is about storytelling at work, why it matters, why it works, and how you can use it more effectively. Now, before I get into the tips, and I'm going to be giving you nine different tips today, the most important thing before you get anywhere near this, the situation where you're going to be telling any stories is to do your preparation. So if I was to say to you that you had to tell a story this afternoon, I imagine you'd be thinking, oh, apart from oh crumbs, you'd be thinking, well, who have I got to tell it to? How many people might there be? How long have I got? What are they interested in? Those would all be great responses 
because you really need to be thinking through the situation before you get through the door. Now, if, uh, if you've got a notepaper, notepad in front of you, um, I'd invite you to draw a little triangle. And at the top of the triangle, to put the word audience, because that is the most important thing to have in mind as you prepare. So if you were going to be telling a fairy tale, you'd be thinking, am I going to be telling this to a toddler who might want just a very kind of nice, breezy kind of overview of, of Cinderella, perhaps? Are you talking to an older child who'd quite like to be a little bit scared and spooked? Or are you going to be telling it to an adult and you can go full on Tim Burton style to really go for all the kind of gothic elements of, of a typical fairy story? And it's really because you could tell the same story, but you would tweak it very significantly depending on your audience. And this is what you need to be thinking about and that top point of the triangle. On the bottom left of the triangle, I would write purpose. What is the point of telling the story? You want to be thinking, is this a setting where perhaps I want to entertain people? Maybe you've got some clients that you would like to build a, a closer relationship with. Maybe you're seeking to inform people. Maybe you're trying to build a relationship with a new team. Perhaps you need to warn people about something that's coming up. And you can also be thinking about what the purpose of the overall event is. Is it an internal meeting? Is it a pitch? Um, is it going to be part of a very formal setting or is it much more informal? These are all very much part of figuring out what your purpose is. And then on the bottom um, right-hand side of a triangle, I would write context. And this is really important as a reminder to think about what else is going on. So sometimes it's understanding if you're going into a meeting at the beginning of the day when people might be fresh, or is it at the end of the day when they might be tired? Is it going to be a group of people who are very concerned about their positions? Is it going to be people who are happy to be there? Uh, are you dealing with people over the phone or on a video link? All of those sorts of things are part and parcel of the preparation that you should be doing before you get to the storytelling situation. And if I was doing this, as I sometimes do with a group of people, I'd be showing them at this point a Toblerone and saying, what you're looking for with your triangle is to be like the chocolate in the Toblerone, because that's by far the most interesting part. So it's the audience, the purpose, the context that define the space in which you're going to be telling your story. Can I check, Andrea? Is that clear for you and to any of the listeners? Um, yes, it's clear for me. Just to check on the context, what mm. happens if people don't follow the examples that I'm, I'm giving because... You know, I thought that they might relate to the example that I'm giving, but actually they, they don't have any reference points. Um, how do I yeah, measure up whether they're following me or not, basically, if I give an analogy? or Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And um, I'll probably come back to some of that as, as we go through, but certainly part of your thinking about the context is... For example, many of us work internationally and 
stories don't always translate particularly well so you're thinking you know what's my likely audience going to be um in terms of of their experiences and their backgrounds mm. uh, what's their likely understanding of the subject that i'm bringing to them so are they similarly expert in the field that you're talking about or are they going to be very different in which case some of the strategies i'll talk about hopefully will be ways of explaining more clearly and bringing a richer picture to what it is that you want to get across so hopefully you don't lose them great thank you okay so we've done the preparation and i'm now going to start on the sort of there are three core things that you want to achieve with your audience and each of those i will give you three tips to help you achieve that so when you think about speaking with a group of people i think the first thing that you really need to have is engagement you really need that audience to engage with you and with what it is that you're saying if they're not engaged then everything else is lost and I like to think of working with an audience as being a little bit like taking a toddler for a walk if any of you have ever done that with a with a child or a niece or nephew or friends children you know you manage to get them out the door with you and you start walking down the road and they start off happily enough usually, but about five paces down the road, they stop and they look at a flower and they think, oh, that's a lovely flower. And they start talking about it and you move, bring them back and they walk down the road a little bit more. And then they see a worm crawling across the pavement and they bend down and they look at the worm and they ask, you know, hello, worm, where are you going to? And they keep on doing this. And I like to think of an audience as a little bit like a toddler going for a walk you have to keep bringing them back you have to keep thinking how can i keep capturing their attention and that's why the engagement piece is so very important so when you're in a meeting what is it that really makes you prick up your ears and get stuck in and brings that engagement i think the first thing is when it gets personal we hear so much data and facts and, and kind of project plans and yada, yada, yada kind of stuff and you just switch off. But as soon as someone starts talking about people or themselves, we think, oh, that's interesting. Our ears prick up. We're social animals. And this is backed up by physiology. Um, it, research has shown that character-driven stories make our audiences create a substance called oxytocin, which is a brain chemical associated with trust and which motivates cooperation with others. So what you're doing by telling a character-based story is you're bringing your audience closer to you. You're actually changing their physiology and making them more likely to be cooperative with you. So my first tip is to be human to be personal in the stories that you bring and this doesn't mean talking at great length about your kind of personal experiences but it's little insights that make you a little bit more rounded a little bit more human they don't have to be long and they don't necessarily have to be your own stories they can be stories of a, a collective figure, things that people remember in the corporation's history about, you know, when the CEO came to London and said, you know, those can be just as engaging as your own stories. So tip number one, be human. My second tip for gaining that audience's engagement 
is about curiosity. Um, curiosity might well have killed the cat, but it has definitely kept the human alive and exploring and developing. There's something about curiosity that seems to be linked to playfulness and our ability to learn. And our brains are really attracted by novelty. And we actually spend time looking out for things on the off chance that they might be useful later. So my second tip is to make your audience curious. You can craft an intriguing opener to your story. You can give them an attention-grabbing sentence. You can tell a story which turns conventional wisdom on its head. And sometimes it can help to bring a prop, bring a thing into the meeting room and keep your audience guessing about what, that will, what it's about. I sometimes do this talk with props. Um, and, uh, you know, it gets people just wondering, oh, I wonder what she's going on to next. So bringing that spirit of curiosity is a great way of building attention. And the third um, trick for building your audience's engagement is to bring warmth. You want to make a human connection anyway, but humans make judgments about warmth and competence. And we often make the mistake of thinking we have to get the competence up there first. So we introduce ourselves as professionals from such and such a company with such and such a set of experience. And that's fine. That's important. You need to establish your credentials. But the thing that really makes the difference is the warm smile, the handshake, the eye contact, and a way of bringing yourself and your work to life in a very kind of warm and human way. So genuine smiles, a nod of acknowledgement, the tone of your voice all help to bring the warmth alive. And I found, you know, some people struggle with this and I must admit it was something that I, I wasn't sure how warm I, how warm I was as I came across the people. Uh, and so I started having conversations with people I didn't know particularly well. Um, people like shop assistants and people who work on the tube and transport. So many times we just kind of give them a card or, you know, the, your payment card and you, know, you walk past people. You don't really even look at them or acknowledge them. Exchanging a few words in a really warm manner, I think, has really made a difference. So finding stories that bring that kind of warm side to you and telling them with engaging and great body language can make a real difference. So those are my three tips about engagement. Can I check in with you, Andrea, um, if there's anything that you want to ask or that any of our listeners want to ask? Uh, yep, there's a question. Um, so if one works with no-nonsense people, with, you know, cold, um, with little patience, how do they stop the potential eye-rolling or the fear of just telling a story because everybody is, is facts and figures and, and that's the culture of the meetings that take place and there's a discomfort almost when, when somebody launches into a story. How, how do I overcome that fear? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really interesting observation. And you're right that some organisations are very kind of functional, very kind of cold, if you like. Um, but it still doesn't change the way that we actually take decisions. We get into the emotional side of things, which I'll, I'll 
talk about a bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, so bringing some warmth and some humanity, first of all, it could really set you apart. It could really allow you to be distinctive uh, because you're doing something slightly different to what the, the mainstream typically do. And I'm not talking in this context about telling great long shaggy dog stories. These are really insights, two or three sentences perhaps, that just help to explain things, uh, to bring them to life. So you shouldn't really, you know, if you've judged your audience properly and if you've judged your um, context properly, then that's a great way of um, thinking through, how do I tell this story in, in the right way so it lands? Right. Yeah, I think that's important to remember. It doesn't have to be a long, a long story. It can yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Um, I've got another okay. coming. Um, could you give us some examples of props that you've taken to a meeting to bring about curiosity? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when I did this talk recently with an audience, I had, apart from my bar of Toblerone, which I have to say there were an awful lot of eyes on that for a long time, um, I also brought along a, um, a Hallmark bag, a bag for Hallmark cards. So I had a card inside. And as I talked about the engagement piece, I took the card out and it was a happy engagement card. For um, my next piece, which is going to be well, I'll keep you curious, so you can. I'll tell you what the prop would be um, as we go along. So there you go. You can have your mixture <laughs> of curiosity. So, if we imagine I'll, I'll, that we've got our audience engaged, the next chunk is about being memorable. You really need them to actually remember you and remember what it is that you said. So you want them to take back the equivalent of, and this is where I lift up a souvenir tea towel. I have a really unpleasant, brash kind of London <laughs> monuments and, and, you know, skyline tea towel. But it's great for just getting that sense of, oh, yeah, this is what you buy when you want to remember something. So for the audience, it's about being memorable. Now, telling stories already gives you that kind of head start because of that narrative narrative tradition and also you know if you are going to be a little bit different from the norm that's something that people will really notice but there are three key things to pass on here and the first tip which I've alluded to already is to be brief you really don't in a business setting want to be telling a story that takes a long time particularly a trick that I found useful is to start your story right in the middle of the action So when I started at the beginning with the Shakespeare um, and Globe example, you didn't need to know that, you know, what day of the week it was or how long it had taken to get there or who the children were or any of that kind of stuff. You were just straight there in the room with those kids walking around in that circle. So that's one way of being brief is just to go bam straight into the middle of the action. And if you're the sort of person who likes to write these things out in advance to get your head around what you want to say, that's great. And I would say if you're doing that, just once you've got it down there, cut it in half. Apply that discipline. If I had to tell this in half as many words, how would I do that? So tip number four, be brief. And the fifth tip is about 
being really vivid because the more parts of the brain that you can cause to fire, the more memorable your story is going to be. A lot of the time we are using principally our auditory um, recognition and quite a lot of visual as well, if you're in the same room as the person or your audience. Uh, and we really kind of overload those. And that's great. They, they're really important parts of our brain. But if you can also stimulate the sense of touch, the sense of smell, even the sense of taste, then all of those parts of the brain get involved as well in laying down a memory. And it just makes that memory much richer and much better, uh, more likely to be recalled later. Uh, to give an example, um, it's one of these things, it's, it's parodied really as Victorian melodrama, but I think the sentences, which I'm just about to read, are a really good example of being incredibly vivid. So you'd have heard the start of this many times. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the streets. Now, I'm sure you'd agree that that is way more vivid than just saying to someone, oh, gosh, it tipped it down yesterday because you've got that sense of that it was dark, you know, hard to see. You've got the sound of the rain. You've got the wind rushing around. You can almost feel the rain on your skin um, and splashing up if you were to walk down that street. It becomes much richer as a picture. So being able to bring in five senses to what you're saying to people is, is a great thing to do. Um, so not a time for British understatement then. <laughs> No, but it's interesting that, you know, for, for the sharp-eared amongst you, being brief and being vivid can potentially be in conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. You haven't got time to describe your situation in real detail. So what you're, in essence, trying to do with these two areas is to find a nice balance to give just enough detail and richness to, to spark those different parts of the brain, uh, but still keep your story moving along. So I was talking with an audience last week about, you know, things that you could bring in at work. And it struck me that, that coffee is a fantastic thing. Nearly everybody comes to a meeting with a cup of coffee or helps themselves to coffee. And you could start thinking well, about the smell of a coffee, or you could think, you know, at, processes that take the length of time it is you know by the time you've drunk your cup of coffee this will have happened or 10,000 things will have happened um, so just using some of those things as a very simple uh, mental prop for telling your story can be very effective they just spark something different in the brain and help you to remember it better um, and the third element of being memorable is about being understandable it's making it real and bringing your topic to life in a way that your audience can really relate to. So this goes back, Andrea, to the question that you had earlier about, you know, how do you get these people to, to really engage with you and, and make sure they're not just glazing, glazing their eyes and you think, Oh gosh, I've lost them. Mm. And if you, if I were to ask you to write a science-based story and that you had to include information about the days of the week and healthy living and an insect life cycle, you'd probably be thinking, oh, crumbs, that's, that's quite 
a tricky story to have a go at. And if I said to you, actually, you're also going to have to write that story for a two-year-old, you really would be struggling. How am I going to condense all of that really rich and technical information to an audience that has almost no understanding of these kinds of concepts? Uh, I can uh, let you off the hook with that request, though, because we're very lucky that a chap called Eric Carl wrote The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And probably just about every household I've ever been in has had a copy of that if they've had a small child in it. It's a fantastic book. Just so simply illustrates the life cycle of an, in of an insect, healthy eating, days of the week in beautiful pictures that any small person can, can understand. So this kind of thing is really, really useful for data. We're particularly bad as human beings at dealing with numbers and probabilities and what they actually mean in real life. So let's say you're working in an organization where there are perhaps 100 million transactions that go through each year. And if you had an error rate of 0.3% of transactions, you might think that sounded pretty good and you could have quite a business-like functional conversation about that. And yeah, that's, that's okay. But actually, that error rate would mean that 300,000 people every year were experiencing errors in their transactions. And that becomes quite a big number. And especially if you say, well, that's the population of Iceland. <laughs> Do you want the population of Iceland ringing you up every year um, saying, you know, something's gone wrong with my transaction, please, can you sort it out? So this is what I mean about um, making it real bringing things to life, using metaphors, analogies, helping people to get their heads around the data. And all of these help you to make yourself much more memorable. So I'm going to pause again there um, before we go into the final chunk to see if there's anything that you wanted to ask or to check. Um, there are any questions, but I thought I'd just make a small comment that um, in, I used to work in, in data and from month to month, there weren't a lot of differences um, and there was a lot of data to, to present on. And I think having those stories helped us to make the months distinct from each other. So I, yeah, I think it really makes a difference in terms of recalling, oh yes, we had that discussion about this. Um, otherwise it's, it becomes like indistinguishable. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a just... It gives people something that's a much easier peg on which yeah. to have a conversation and, and to remember what they're talking about and get a sense of the size and the scale of, of an issue. Yeah, uh, and the prompt to be, yeah. oh, yes, we did discuss this. Um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Great. Well, I'm really glad that, that you've used that and you experienced it. And, yeah, that's a, a great illustration. So um, that was about being memorable, which is a mixture of being brief, but at the same time, finding ways to be vivid and also making it real world, bringing your stuff to life in that way. Now, the final bit for which my final prop would be a library book um, is getting you to think, well, what, what do you want the audience to go away and do as a result of listening to you? This is about being persuasive. So my final prop when I hold it up is Jane Austen's persuasion. You really want to be thinking 
what it is that you need these people to be doing. This is about going back to that, the chocolate in the middle of the Toblerone, your triangle. What is it that you wanted to achieve through your purpose? What was the purpose of the meeting? What's the point of the conversation? What context are you working in? So um, three final tips that sit in the space of being persuasive. I think the first one taps into thinking really hard about what your listeners really need or want. A lot of conversations at work are very much about you know, getting things done on a particular time scale, working with particular clients. They're very kind of transactional. But actually what we really want from work are things like we'd like an easier life. It's great when people say, oh, you don't have to do that. Uh, we don't want to sit at our desks dealing with hundreds and hundreds of emails and, and awkward transactions. We want problems to be solved. We don't, have, we don't want things to be worrying us unduly. We want opportunities to shine amongst our peers to be able to showcase the great work that we've been doing. We want to look good for our boss. Uh, we want to have our own challenges. Uh, we'd like to have that stimulation, the, the opportunity to, to learn new things at work. There are all sorts of things that are going on for, for us all as individuals, which are below the surface of that kind of transactional conversation about whether a project is going forward or not. And that's what you can really tap into in making um your story much more persuasive so my seventh tip is help them get what they really want so use your story to showcase the outcomes that they really care about so instead of just saying um yeah i can run that project you could say yeah when we run when i led a project similar to this uh it meant my my boss didn't have to get involved every single day. Everything went very smoothly. So, you know, she only had to look in on us a couple of times a week. Um, you're trying to show, okay, so if you want to not have to spend your time second guessing everything that I do, how can I show you that I'm, I will do this perfectly the first time? You're tapping into what it is that you think that person is really looking for. And, you can, if you're not really not sure, you could go and perhaps sit in the room where your audience is going to be, go along to the office or imagine what it'll be like and think, if I was sitting in that chair, if I was sitting on the other side of the table, what is it that I think I would want? It's usually about problem solving or clarity or looking good, tackling the kind of fears and worries that we have in the workplace. So if you can get into that space in a gentle manner, um, you don't have to kind of say, I assume you're sitting there wanting to look good for your boss. Uh, that's kind of probably a bit overt. But you could show how a project that you worked with in the past was very successful. You could say, oh, do you remember how such and such team won the uh, team of the year award for that project? Well, I led that. You know, perhaps we could do the same with this thing. It's that kind of stuff that you're trying to tap into with your stories. So thinking about what your audience really wants and then my second um, tip in this area tip number eight is about being passionate 
because one of the key questions that's going to be in the mind of the listener is going to be is this person going to deliver what they say they're going to deliver they they're looking for you the the speaker to convince them that you're the right person now if you think about the conversations that you have with people the the times when you really think yeah this person is really motoring on this topic this person is really going to take this where it needs to go they're going to go beyond that they're going to really make this incredibly successful you get that sense i'm guessing uh, certainly when i speak to people when they're really passionate about it when you can see that passion coming through you think yeah they're going to really go for it. That's the person I want on my team. That's the person I want to work with. This is the client that I want to engage with. That flash of passion shows people that you really care about what you're talking about. It strengthens that connection and it makes you so much more compelling. And it doesn't have to be passion about spreadsheets and it doesn't have to be passion about systems or um, some of the functional things that you might be dealing with it can be things like passion about working with a great team passion about getting problems solved passion about uncovering every last possible dilemma so you can sort things out some people get incredibly passionate about that kind of stuff and actually that's what your client and your audience really want to hear so really important to be passionate about the stories that you're telling. And my final tip on persuasiveness is really about bringing in a lot more emphasis. We've already talked right at the start in that being human piece about eye contact, about having the warmth to your presentation. But if you really want your story to hit home, you need to be much more emphatic about the way that you tell it. If you're in a room with people, move around the room. I tell that opening story by walking around the room and it puts people you know, slightly um, off guard because it's an unusual thing to do, but it's great. Use your hands if, you, if your audience can see you to emphasize your key points. Uh, if you could see me, I'm waving my hands around at the moment. You can make your voice a lot louder or you can make it much quieter. And never forget the dramatic pause. It's a great way of getting your audience to turn, look at you, and really emphasize a particular point that you want to get across. So that final element of persuasion is to be emphatic. And it's quite handy on this if, you, if you're perhaps dealing with something that you don't feel particularly passionate about, you could still put some emphasis in and still get some of that edge into your story, makes it persuasive for other people. So um, those are my kind of core tips about building engagement, about being memorable and about being persuasive. And the more I'd be looking at this stuff, the more I thought that storytelling really is a great way of getting people to engage with you and remember what you've said and go away inspired and motivated to do something different and hopefully something that you are encouraging them to do. Um, and I'm thinking here that actually there's a kind of 
a final tip perhaps because this isn't necessarily the thing that we perhaps feel comfortable with doing at work for some of us it's not perhaps our natural style but it really is worth it so I think a final tip is to really be brave about it to do some planning to collect some stories I have a notebook on my desk which I was given for Christmas and it says on its spine it says words and deeds and I keep it on my on my desk and every time every couple of days I think Hmm, has anything struck me recently that I could jot down? It's great for reminding me of little stories that I could use later. So do some planning, collect your stories, practice with people, have those conversations with, with strangers or, or people that you come into contact with. You can start small and really go for it because I think it makes a very great difference to how persuasive and how compelling you are as a speaker. So I'm going to end the kind of formal piece there and check in with you Andrea whether you've got any questions or whether anything's come up uh, from any of the others listening in yeah um, there is a question I guess this relates to your initial point of the toddler and bringing them back what happens when someone tells a story and a member or a couple of members of the audience latch on to one example or one point in that story that's quite a tangent to the overall discussion. And mm. it becomes a personal or political discussion and it, it goes off in a, in a completely different direction and everybody loses sight of what was the original point. How do you bring them back when people's emotions are stirred? Mm, yeah that's a that's a good thought um and it'd be great to, if you've kept the the story really brief then hopefully you haven't really given them too many hooks to go off on a tangent but yeah i appreciate people do we all do um i think that's one of those situations where you as a storyteller and the the presenter or the person keeping that point sometimes have to step in and say hang on folks my intent and this is I love this phrase I often use it my intent was or my intent is by using those three words you are trying to cut through the miscommunication that's just happened because your your intent in telling the story may not have been as clear as you had in had wanted it to be so you could say my intent with telling that story was to show how um, successful we've been at dealing with this particular instance or to show how much I valued working with this team and you might even say I'm sorry if that intent didn't come across but I think it's and you can then say but I think it's really important that we tackle this client issue that we build this team whatever it was that, that you really wanted to do so I think it's partly it's it's having that clarity of purpose right at the start why are you in that meeting in the first place what is the thing that you need to achieve if they've gone off on the tangent whether it was because of your story or something or other else having the confidence to bring them back and say no hang on the purpose of this what we really need to do is sort this out for the clients sort out this project whatever whatever um and use that as your you know prop for coming back to the discussion yeah, I really like that my intent with telling that story is 
um, and, and, and that, yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Any other thoughts or reflections coming in? Um, no, I would say there, there's nothing wrong with being passionate about a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And do you know what? Being passionate about a spreadsheet, if you're, if you're a client or someone in the office who wants someone who's great at spreadsheets and you get someone who's passionate about them, fantastic. Most people will bite your arm off for that. <laughs> Um, but I've just realized that, you know, sometimes we work with tools that we don't necessarily feel passionate about. And then you've got to be thinking a bit more laterally about where your passion might lie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, yeah, that's, that's all from me, I think. Okay. And that's all from me. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and uh, I hope everyone listening in has found it useful. Just before we go, um, a quick heads up uh, for the next Friday Voice that's coming up. We're taking a break for August. So we're back in September on how to communicate with challenging colleagues. Um, I'm sure a lot of us experience that, so it's going to be a good one. Um, our presenter this time is uh, Janet Karolowski. So I hope you can join us for that, um, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you very much for joining us today.